Okay, you guys enjoying the subject of worship? Yes. Oh man, time is flying by. Subject of worship. We'll try to get this concise. Okay, I've enjoyed it. Um, I've loved what um, Brandon has been bringing. He asked me to preach one of the weeks of this series, and I had no idea what he was preaching. And so it made me not be sure what I would preach because, you know, careful, don't want to overlap too much. And, and I, what I love is, I don't know if, how many of you remember the very first time you ever preached. I actually preached on John 4, what Brandon preached the first week of this series. John 4 is the woman at the well and, and worshiping in spirit and truth. And Brandon um, unpacked that so well. Amazing. Um, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's one of the only, it's only um, one of a handful of times where Jesus actually mentions worship specifically. So, I mean, if Jesus is talking about it, we better pay attention. And um, I'll look at some other in- instances where Jesus refers to worship. But I, I want to expound upon in my recapping of some things that I've heard from Brandon. So, one, the actual definition of worship is to bow down, to adore, and to kiss. To bow down, to adore, to kiss. Now, if there's some kissing going on, there's probably some affection. There's probably even a little bit of passion. We are the bride of Christ, for goodness sakes. There should be some passion. There's a lot of passion going on in the Bible. I don't know if you've, you've seen that. David danced before the Lord, full of passion. There was the woman, you know, last week we sang a song, Waste It All. Now, I understand... We don't, nothing that we give to God is a waste. But there's a story about a woman who brought a jar of expensive perfume, the, the cost being a year's wages, and she broke it over Jesus and wept over his feet and kissed his feet. His disciples said, how would you let her waste all of this? That could be sold and given to the poor. But Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. I won't always be with you. Anything that we give to God extravagantly can never be a waste. Can never be a waste. But that song is a response to those that say, ah, you're being foolish. Well, if if it's foolish, if you say it's a waste, I'm going to waste it all. That's passion. You know, people who are in love, they don't care what they look like. If you've ever been in love with someone, you can do some pretty stupid stuff. And you don't care what other people think. That's the reality. So Brandon also touched on a kiss being connected to the kiss of a hand. Now that could be seen as humbling. It could be seen as reverent. When I think about kissing of a hand, I think of kissing royalty there's reverence there and now reverence is not something that we talk about that much in our stream 
you know, our stream of Christianity. You know, reverence is a big deal in the Catholic Church. And for us, we can sometimes look at the Catholic Church and say, well, it seems so cold and void of relationship. But reverence is, is really important. Jesus deserves our reverence. I mean, he, he's God after all. Jesus is God. I know He's a friend. We're a friend of God, but He is God. (laughs) We love to quote Scripture like, "Perfect perfect love casts out all fear. But we can also sometimes neglect that there's a healthy fear. And even a command from Paul to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. These are truths that should not negate or cancel out one or the other. They're they're to be held in tension. It's really important. But what mainly comes to mind when I think about a kiss is that it's a sign of love. I think ultimately the simplest definition of worship is that it is an expression of love. Worship is an expression of love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, when we hear commandment, we typically think of the Ten Commandments, right? This wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. I know, you're like, oh, oh, it wasn't? I I thought surely it must have been one of those commandments. No, it was part of the the law. The first five books of the Bible are the, the law, according to The Jews. Okay? And this is actually from the book of Deuteronomy that Jesus was quoting. Now, all of the laws that came after the first ten, they actually correlate and connect to the original ten. They're how to live out serving God. But I actually want to point out how closely connected they are. I just want to read it to you really quick. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now I want to compare it to the beginning of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me because I'm the only one. Remember? You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Because I'm the only one that deserves your worship. Right? Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You see the correlation. Do not worship or serve other gods. Love me. How much? With everything you got. With all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Who and what we worship is directly connected to whether we love God. Which brings me back to another point that Brandon made. That anything we do in life is worship 
if we do it unto God. That worship isn't relegated to a time on Sunday mornings or any other special gathering of and time of Christians coming together where we sing to God. This is not in and of itself worship. It actually can be devoid of worship. I'm not saying that that's not important because it absolutely is important. There's a lot of this going on in heaven. I mean, read the Bible. That's that's happening a lot. There are angels that are just flapping around the throne with eyes covered, just going, holy, holy, holy. They're seeing new sides of God every single moment because he's endless. And they're saying, holy. Worship is constant in heaven. But one of my favorite books years ago was The Practice of the Presence of God. How many people have heard of that or read that book? It's actually the collection of writings and interviews of a French monk in the 16th century. Oh, 17th century, sorry. (laughs) Here's one of my favorite quotes. We can do little things for God. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. (laughs) It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Everything we do, everything we do unto him is worship. See, worship is truly a posture of the heart. God loves the songs. He loves sacrifice. He loves service. But it's empty and not truly worship if it doesn't come from a heart posture to love him. Jesus even addressed this with the Pharisees and saying, Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus saw through to the heart. They could talk about God and honor him until they were blue in the face. But Jesus saw the truth. The Pharisees were far more interested with how they looked, with their piousness, with their importance to men than actually loving Jesus, well, God. Motives matter. You can actually do something that should be for God and do it for yourself. I could actually be up on the stage leading worship and do it for the wrong motives. I could do it for, man, wasn't worship great today? That could be my whole motivation for being up there. That people would see how amazing of a singer and guitar player I am. It's true. Someone could be an amazing worship leader. They could be an amazing preacher and hear Jesus say, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You guys with me still? Okay. I... If this is getting a little too 
too hard for you. Just just remember that I only preach here every like six months. So so you can come back next week, maybe. And OK, so. And, you know, I could spend this entire time up here and talk about worshiping, like singing and dancing and all of that. But the reality is, I want to preach what God's speaking to me. I've heard I've heard Bill Johnson talk about the importance of pastors studying the Bible, not for what they can teach, but to learn. And and he says that he came to the realization that if it feeds me, it'll feed them. So I'm hoping this feeds you. So earlier this week, I was reading in Exodus some of the laws that God set out for the Israelites. And I found this beauty. This is, this is really big. Like, record this, okay? Take notes. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Don't do that. You are, did you get that? You are not to boil a young goat... And the milk of its mother. <laughs> I read that. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's one commandment I certainly haven't broken. I mean, one, I've never boiled a goat, let alone a young goat. And how would I find that goat's own mother's milk to boil it in? I'm good. I'm safe. <laughs> I'm so safe. I'm good. I actually um, was in... I know, so righteous. I was in my office reading this, and I even, I even yelled out my door, Hey, Eva, I've got the word of the Lord for you today. And I thought it was hilarious. Anyway. But I spent some time talking to the Lord about it. I said, okay, so why this? Why this? Most of the Old Testament laws, I can kind of see the reasoning and logic behind them, even if they're a little unrelatable to a 21st century mind. You know what I'm saying? But this, it, no, it's okay to boil a young goat in milk, just not its own mother's milk. Are you, are you following me? Like, why? Why, God, what gives? And almost immediately, I heard Jesus' words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is from John chapter 14, verse 15. I want to read a little bit more of that chapter to you. Jesus also said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Powerful. Maybe a little sobering. This reminded me of this this passage of this this commandment remind me of, of the Garden of Eden, that that whole like it offends my logic. Well, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden here, God created perfection. 
He literally created heaven on earth in, in, in the most perfect reality. Heaven on earth, the Garden of Eden. And he put man and woman in it, and he said, there's all these fruit trees that are good for eating. Take, take and eat, except this one. This one. Don't eat from that one tree. Why did he create... A tree suitable for eating. Are you with me? He created a tree that was suitable for eating. That he told them don't eat. I, when I was growing up, I went to a, uh, a, a church camp, Lake Forest Ranch in Macon, Mississippi. I know that's a long ways away from here. It was a long ways away from my home church, which was back in Indiana. But every summer we'd go to this this camp, and there was this folk singer. I don't even remember his name anymore. But he came and he played this song that stuck with me for the longest time. And the song said, Why'd you make that tree? Make a sinner out of me. I don't understand. Was it just a part of the plan? Why'd you make that tree? Have you ever pondered that? I mean, I pondered that for a long time. But then I came to the realization. Obedience isn't really obedience if there are not choices. Love is not truly love unless there are options to not love. So God, being the embodiment of love, gave them the ability to not choose him. Sin didn't enter into mankind through the digestion of sin-infected fruit. This might mess with your, your thinking, or have you ever thought about this before? God made something that was pure and perfect in the Garden of Eden. It was suitable for eating. He just told them not to eat of it. Because then they would have the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil isn't in and of itself bad. Am I messing with your minds right now? Okay. God even said in Genesis 3.22, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. God has the knowledge of good and evil, and yet God is light, and there is no shadow in him. In him there is no turning. The knowledge isn't the problem. The problem is the knowing and the willingness to make the wrong choices. So I say all this to pose a question. Can we choose God's way even when it offends our own logic and reasoning? Because obedience isn't really obedience if we only obey when we agree. Then it's, I do whatever I want. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not enough to come to church on a Sunday, honor him with our lips, and then go about doing whatever we please for the rest of the week. That is not acceptable worship to God. We can't just say it's all under grace. Grace isn't just unmerited favor. And it is definitely not free. 
It was paid with a heavy price. No, grace is the power of God within us to live a holy life. That's really important. Paul put it this way in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Yes, he's urging them not because it is like a given that you would do this. I'm urging you. I'm pleading with you. In view of God's mercy, because he's so merciful, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm going to read it again. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I understand that we're the righteousness of Christ. That is our identity. But we still have a choice and an opportunity to walk in holiness, to give him true and proper worship that he deserves. Not because he's a hard, angry God who demands it, but because he's good. Because he's kind. Because he's patient with us. And I'll tell you this, because we're so in love. And we can't help but respond to the love that he's already shown us. Because we're grateful. Because our heart's desire, above all else, is to please him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. This is worship. This is worship. It's everything. It's giving him everything. I'm going to close. I want to close with a quote from Bill Johnson. He said, every part of my life must be part of my worship to God himself. If there's a part of my life that cannot be an expression of my love for God, it shouldn't be in my life. I'll read it again. Every part of my life must be part of my worship to God himself. If there's a part of my life that cannot be an expression of my love for God, It shouldn't be in my life. I know this isn't a typical message that maybe you'd hear here or you'd hear from me, your passionate worship leader. But I believe that God has an invitation for us today. Do you hear it? There's an invitation to commit ourselves wholly and completely to him. Whether it's for the first time at all, whether it's the first time that we say, I'm giving you everything. I only gave you a part. When I, when I said yes to Jesus, when I said yes to you before, I only gave you a, a compartmentalized part of me. Today, I choose you completely. I choose to give you my all. Whether you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or whether you've never fully surrendered. I believe today is the day. Can can our prayer team come on up? Why don't you guys all stand?
I want a prayer team to come up here. And so I, if something that I just said is resonating with you today, whether you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or you say, I, I haven't been living for him and he deserves my everything. If that's you today, I want you to come and get prayer. The people up here, they're amazing lovers of God. They're gentle. They're kind. They love you, and they want to see you walk in wholeness. So, Father, I thank you for stirring our hearts today. We don't want to be those that you say, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. We want to be burning, Jesus. We want to be burning for you. You deserve everything. So, Jesus, today we give you our hearts. We commit ourselves. We commit our lives. We commit everything to you. Our jobs, we commit to you. Our parenting, we, we commit to you. Our cooking in the kitchen, we give it to you today, Jesus, because you're worthy of it all. Worship you, Jesus.